Hi, everybody. Good Sunday afternoon to you. Hope your weekend is going well. We are one week closer to CFL football. But right now, CFL football is farthest from the minds of a lot of people in Alberta. It's been a tough week. It's been a horrible week of tragedy and loss in Fort McMurray. But it's also been a great week of Alberta and Edmontonians coming together to help support our friends in Fort Mac. You know, uh, the CFL visited Fort McMurray twice last year. The Eskimos were a part of that. And we're going to talk with, uh, I talked with Len Rhodes, Eskimos president and CEO, earlier this week at their annual general meeting. We're going to hear that conversation coming up in a few moments this afternoon. But right now, we're going to bring Len in on the telephone to talk to him about what's going on in Fort McMurray. Hi, Len. How are you? Hi, Morley. Uh, gosh, I, I wish we were all better. We hate to see our neighbors in that situation. Absolutely. And I know Fort McMurray, obviously a soft spot in the hearts of the Eskimos uh, after a couple of visits there last year and the entire CFL. First off, let's uh, just address what the CFL announced uh, this week and, and, a, and a big donation from the league office and the, the nine member teams. Sure. Uh, you know, I spoke to uh, Mayor Melissa Blake, and uh, we have an emotional bond with Fort McMurray, given we played Northern Kickoff there. And I asked what we could do, and uh, one of the initiatives that uh, I decided to orchestrate on behalf of the whole league was to reach out to all of my counterparts, all of the other club presidents and the commissioner, and I asked if uh, we could get their support. And within a couple of hours, I had responses from everyone, and uh, we agreed to put some money together to support the Red Cross initiatives uh, for Fort McMurray. So we uh, today we announced, or earlier this week, we announced a contribution of $50,000 uh, to help the relief uh, efforts, and uh, the CFL really cares about the people. You know, we're a key property in this country, but it's all about people. The sport is secondary at this point in time. Absolutely. And, and I know there's another event, uh, along with the $50,000 that's been donated to the Red Cross, on uh, Thursday of this coming week, the new uniforms, the new jerseys are going to be unveiled, and it's going to be a big big kickoff day for the, uh, for the CFL. But those much-anticipated new jerseys are also going to raise money for Fort McMurray and the Red Cross. That's right. Uh, the CFL asked if they could uh, go one step further and all the sales that they make online for the new uh, uniforms, new jerseys and apparel will be going towards the fund as well. And that's just fabulous. I, I'm so impressed. You know, we led the, uh, I orchestrated the initiative, uh, but how everyone responded was great. But I felt the onus was on us to get something going, uh, given we are geographically the closest uh, to Fort McMurray. But everyone has come together in such a nice way. And the Eskimos have also done a few things over and above, including uh, helping the Edmonton Humane Society, because my understanding is the Humane Society in Fort McMurray also burnt down, and the relief is coming from Edmonton. And also on Saturday, we had our players and cheer team go to Northlands to uh, just boost the morale. And that's something Melissa, Mayor Melissa Blake asked. She said, if there's one thing you can do, if you could get some players and cheer team members and mascots at Northlands, with everything that they've gone through, that would boost the morale. So that's what we did. Wow, that's terrific. And, and just to reiterate that about the jerseys, if you're planning to buy one of those brand-new Adidas jerseys on Thursday, do it Thursday and do it via CFL.ca because all the proceeds from the sales that day will go to the Red Cross to help out uh, in Fort McMurray. Uh, it's, a, it's a terrible thing that's going on. But, uh, Len, once again, it's great to see uh, people rally and, and help their fellow men. Oh, I'm so touched. You know, we see the true colors of everyone in these situations. And Albertans, uh, Edmontonians, and Canadians across this country are really rallying together. And uh, we've got to do that in times of need. That's what it's all about. Uh, to lose one's home is one of the worst things that anyone could ever experience. 
And, uh, you know, the things that we've just announced that we've done and going to do, uh, we hope to be doing even more. We're uh, looking at uh, where we're needed. And I, again, spoke to the mayor, spoke to uh, McDonald Island, spoke to Mayor Iveson here in Edmonton. Everyone's aware that the Eskimos are ready to uh, stand up, just like uh, Chad has been doing all week. Incredible connecting the community, providing information and uh, networking to make sure that the resources are in the right place. Len, have you found out about any kind of damage at, at SMS uh, Park at Shell Place on McDonald Island where the two games were played last year? How has that uh, come through everything so far? Do you know? Yeah, as, as we're speaking, I, I spoke uh, to um, the head of uh, the rec center there, and her name is uh, Annette Antoniak, and uh, everything was intact at that point in time when we had the conversation, and let's hope it continues to be the case. Len Rhodes, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And on behalf of Eskimo fans and CFL fans, it's great to see the CFL and the Eskimos step up in the way they have. Thank you, Morley. That's Eskimos president and CEO Len Rhodes. That's now. Earlier this week, I had a chance to talk to Len at the Eskimos annual general meeting. That's coming up next. This is the Eskimo Show with Morley Scott on 630 Chad. Len, we found out on November 29th that the Eskimos were pretty successful on the field in 2015. We found out today they were successful off the field. We'll talk about that in a moment, but first I want to talk about something that was probably, for you, a, a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I know for Sean White, a twice-in-a-lifetime experience, mm -hmm. but you got an opportunity to go overseas and uh, say thank you to some of, some of our troops. Uh, first off, tell me how this invite came about and what it was all about. It all started with our military appreciation night and one thing we all know through research and through fan feedback is that's always one of the best, most appreciated themes through the eyes of our fans. We had one of the lieutenant generals over last year who uh, was in my suite watching the game and witnessed what we do on military appreciation night and he was very impressed. He talked to me about the fact that every now and then there's uh, something called Team Canada trips to support the troops overseas. Would I ever be interested? I said, I'd, I'd be honored. Uh, I said, it all comes down to my schedule. Approximately six weeks ago, I was contacted. They said there was going to be a trip going overseas. Would I be interested? I checked my calendar. I made it work. And this is one opportunity I couldn't decline. We went to three countries in seven days. We started in Kuwait. We went to France. And then we ended up in Ukraine. And the mandate was to go show the troops that we're there. We're thinking of them, showing our support. We had a diverse group of 25 people, including our Ryan King, our Sean White. There were a few members of the Alouettes as well. The commissioner was there, some alumni from the NHL. It, um, it was just an incredible experience to go see how our troops live, the conditions in which they operate. When you go to Kuwait, you're talking 44 degrees Celsius in the afternoon. You're sleep we slept in the tents, uh, the bunkers, just like the uh, troops do in Kuwait, and they're away from their families. Kuwait, for example, is a dry country, so troops can't even have a beer at the end of the day. And uh, they're away sometimes on deployment for nine months. I have so much appreciation. I always had respect for the military and the armed forces. Now that I came closer to seeing how they operate and what they go through and the sacrifice they make for us, I'm in awe. Yeah, it's amazing when you think about, a lot of people talk about what you have to go through to win a Grey Cup. but compare that to what those guys have to go through and it's uh, it's pretty impressive you know I was with uh, I bunked next to John Bowman from the Alouettes and he says I'll never complain about training camp again and uh, that said it all and I said you know when I get home I will appreciate everything and every once in a while we need to go through things to see how the rest of the world lives 
But when our own troops, our Canadian troops, go out to help others, you know, in the Ukraine, our troops are training the Ukrainian soldiers, and uh, they have different mandates everywhere. When we were in Marseille, France, it was HMCS, uh, the Navy ship from Halifax, and uh, seeing how they operate and their mandate, it's just really incredible. All right, give me your, your best story, your best memory, your best takeaway from what your uh, week must have been. It must have been a fabulous week, but what's the one takeaway? Uh, one was uh, being with Tiger Williams, a former uh, Maple Leafs uh, star. And, you know, when I grew up, I didn't like Tiger because I was a Montreal Canadiens fan. But I got to see, meet Tiger, and I could see why he's named Tiger. He's got energy. He's got uh, fight. He's got bite. And uh, we had a Team Canada game. And Tiger came to me and said, hey, you ready for the hockey game? How good are you? I go, oh, I'm not that great. He said, you're on the bubble. So I was on the bubble before I even had a chance to play. And uh, Team Canada played the troops in uh, Kuwait, and we lost 10-4. to 4. And we're talking, we had five NHL alumni players on our team, and we still lost. They were waiting for us. I think they're in better shape, right? <laughs> they're in incredible shape. They're younger, and they're used to the heat. When we got, though, to Ukraine, uh, it was a 4-4 game, and it included a shootout. Uh, a remarkable experience. I could talk to you more about it, but time doesn't permit, and I'm sure you're going to be telling stories about it for a long, long time. Uh, let's get to the Eskimos. This week you had your AGM, uh, your annual general meeting, and not only was this a season of success on the field with the Grey Cup, but you made money, uh, just over $1.5 million, uh, with obviously with money invested, so there's more to it than just saying $1.5 million. Uh, I'll put it to you this way. Do you consider the off-field season a success as well? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd look at 2015 sorry, as being the template and the standard benchmark that we'd like to achieve every year. If we could win a great cup every year, make some money at the bottom line, continue to invest in capital projects in the stadium, continue to give back to the community, that is the touchdown. And uh, I'll take this five times over in the future as well. I know the shareholders enjoyed at the meeting having the Grey Cup there. That uh, kind of that's what the goal is, obviously, right? So it's good to to wrap up the year with that there. It's the ultimate prize, and now it's getting to the point though that was 2015, and we're proud of it. And the ring ceremony is coming later this month, but we quickly think about 2016, and we don't have any rights to that cup after 2015. We got to earn it all over again. Uh, a couple of numbers just want to touch on. Uh, we, we mentioned just over $1.5 in in profit. Uh, the Eskimos led the league in uh, seats in uh, attendance again, 31,517. That's the good news. Bad news, that number dropped from last year. Uh, you had uh, record amounts of season ticket sales. That's the good news. The bad news is your revenue for tickets dropped a little bit. Just that's kind of a, a little bit of a, an issue that obviously you have to deal with. Yeah, we were down at just a bit over 5% at the end of the day. And um, two factors. Saskatchewan was in the house once, not twice. Calgary, the same thing. And we had two bad weather dates. We were down, still number one in attendance. But um, we want to move. I will tell you, there's one thing. I'll never be happy until we fill that stadium. And everything we do is to try to build that. So season seat base is very, very important. The walk-up crowds, you're more volatile because you're dependent on conditions like weather and other factors that come into play. What we want to do is attract the younger demographic. So obviously the kids of the future, we've got to get them in the stadium. And you'll be able to see that we're going to put a more concerted effort in getting the 20 to 30 year old, the young adult into the stadium in 2016. We're going to unveil a lot of our plans uh, Thursday, May 12th in terms of what's to come in 2016 for the game day, experience, community, and capital projects. So it's obviously not being lost on you and anyone in the organization that that younger fan base has to be attracted. You have to get them 
into the building and you have to keep them in the building. It would be so easy for me to just uh, hide behind the success of this year and say, hey, everything's great. I want to worry about what's happening 10 years from now. Our coaches worry about what's going on very, right here, right now on the field. My job is to make sure that when we leave the Eskimos, whatever period of time that is, we're leaving it in better shape as a custodian of this club, of this football team, this proud asset in the community. I will never be satisfied unless we keep growing our fan base. And we've had banner years in terms of attendance in the uh, stadium. We've had great numbers in terms of our financials. But I want to fill the stadium and I want to get younger people back into the stadium. And back to the financial part of it, the one thing, and I know you talked about it already, is uh, winning costs money. Yes. Uh, but it's money well spent. Morally, it's the best million dollars we could ever spend. Round figures, that's what it costs to win a great cup. I'd love to be able to tell the board we're spending a million dollars again next year just for the great cup. Uh, there's travel, there's a lot of expenses that come, the rings, uh, everything included. It's about a million dollars. But it's the best annuity for the future. If you can invest into a great cup and bring it home, it had been 10 long years, we're back, and we hope to contain and keep it here for a long time as well. But uh, I know Ed Hervey and now Jason Moss are focused on 2016, but it is still nice to look back at 2015. It's almost surreal. A few years ago, we were struggling in many challenges, but we put a plan in place, and bam, we're delivering on that plan. Len, as always, uh, thanks for your time. I appreciate this. Thank you, Morley. This is The Eskimo Show with Morley Scott on 630 Chat. The big item on the CFL calendar this week is Tuesday night's Canadian Draft. The Eskimos have the eighth pick in the draft. Saskatchewan has the first pick. To talk more about the draft right now from sportsnet.ca and Three Down Nation, we welcome in Justin Dunk. Hey, Justin, how are you? Thanks for doing this. Doing well, Morley. Thanks for having me on. That uh, time of year. You know what? Uh, I think there's an issue at the top of the draft for the uh, for the CFL. Uh, first and foremost, let's go over the rankings. Uh, the rankings came out last week. The number one ranked prospect in the Canadian draft is a guy by the name of uh, David Onyemata from the University of Manitoba. He's the number one ranked prospect. He'll probably never play in the CFL and might not even get drafted on Tuesday. It's a weird, weird situation, isn't it? Yeah, that's one of the intricacies. And one of the unique things about the CFL draft is finding talented players, but finding players that are going to actually be in your camp. And obviously David Onyemata won't soon be in the CFL. He could be down the line. I still think he could be drafted in the later rounds on the off chance he ever ends up up here. But that's what makes it tricky about the CFL is trying to wade your way through what these Canadians might do in terms of the NFL. Onyemata uh, is the big story because he was drafted in the NFL draft, but there's a couple of other guys who are highly ranked in the CFL draft that have been given tryouts uh, for NFL mini camps and, and tryout camps. How is that going to affect? First off, can you, do you have a list of, of who those guys are who are kind of in that bubble zone for the CFL draft? Yeah, I'll run off the list of guys that actually signed NFL deals. So, Tavon Smith, the receiver out of Iowa, Mehdi Abdesbad, the defensive lineman out of Boston College, Arjun Colhoun, the defensive back out of Michigan State, and Ellie Buka, the defensive back out of the University of Calgary, have all signed contracts. So, they will be going to NFL training camps in August, which means that CFL teams at least won't get them until then. And it's pretty likely that those guys, if they perform well, could make a roster or a practice roster in the NFL. So odds are you might not see those guys for at least one year, if not longer. Now, there's a whole host of other players that have NFL minicamp invites. The Giants have invited uh, close to a double-digit number, if not over, of guys to their camp once again. And there's some other players 
um, going to various camps. Some of the higher-ranked guys, Alex Singleton, a linebacker out of Montana State, is going to Patriots rookie minicamp. Trent Corney, defensive lineman out of Virginia, was a bit of a shock. Some people thought he would be picked in the NFL draft. He wasn't, didn't get a UDFA contract. He ends up getting a Jets minicamp invite. So those are some of the top guys that are going to rookie minicamp. What is it with the New York Giants that they love Canadians so much? Because they have, a, as you mentioned, a bunch of Canadians invited this year. And they did, if memory serves, they did the same thing last year, did they not? Yeah, they did. There was whew, over 10 for sure last year. There might have even been 15 Canadians at Giants rookie minicamp. And again this year, I believe we're into the double digits. What is going on, I think, is that they see that the CIS brand of football is getting better and it gives them an opportunity to check out these players on an NFL field and within their sort of controlled football environment. And part of the reason too is they have a Canadian assistant GM and Kevin Abrams. So he's looking north of the border and looking anywhere to find talent for his football team. All right, let's talk about the draft crop as a whole, Justin. Uh, how good is it compared to years past? It's pretty good. The top tier is really good. About the top three rounds are going to get players that could contribute and possibly be starters down the line. It's not as deep as the 2015 draft because the 2015 draft had, you know, a lot of the red shirts had been held back a year with sort of a double cohort where in the later rounds you were getting some really talented players. But the top rounds and the top talent in this draft is right up there with any other draft in recent memory. Saskatchewan has the first pick. What's your gut tell you? Are they going to use it or are they going to trade it? Well, I think ideally they would like to trade it and recoup some picks. You know, they traded away some picks to get Maurice Price, but he retired. They traded away a pick to get Bruce Campbell. He retired. So they're down a few picks. They picked number one overall, and then they don't pick again until late in the third round. Now, my gut is saying that teams aren't really sort of bowling them over with any offers right now, as much as Saskatchewan would like to – trade it, recoup some picks, maybe even get a player that could contribute. That type of offer doesn't seem to be out there right now. So unless something changes between now and, you know, leading up to draft day, often those talks heat up right before the Riders are due on the clock or right before that team is picking number one is due to pick. So as things pick up in that time, I'm not so sure it gets traded right now. The CFL Canadian Draft goes Tuesday night. It starts at 5. We'll have coverage here on 6.30, Chad, beginning at 6 o'clock. We'll talk more with Justin Dunk on the draft. When we return, you're listening to The Eskimo Show on 6.30, Chad. You're listening to The Eskimo Show on Eskimos Radio. 6.30, Chad. The CFL Canadian Draft is the topic right now on the Eskimo Show. Hope your Sunday's going well. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back. Talking with Justin Dunk before the break. We'll continue that conversation now. The draft itself goes on Tuesday, 5 o'clock start time. We'll have live coverage here on 6.30, Chad, beginning with Inside Sports from Commonwealth Stadium, 6 o'clock on Tuesday night. The uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders have the first overall draft pick. Will they keep it? Will they trade it? That has to be determined between now and draft day. The Eskimos, they have pick number eight in round number one and Justin Dunk from sportsnet.ca and three down nation joining us now Justin what can the Eskimos expect to get with that eighth overall pick well you can get a pretty good player there this draft is one that doesn't seem to have a consensus number one overall player at the top of it there's really some talented guys that should be on the board there when Edmonton picks and I think they could get a, a very talented player that should be able to contribute year one 
and es- the Eskimos needs in your mind. Uh, me, I'm I'm thinking DBs where they're pretty thin on Canadians and uh, that defensive tackle spot where they've they've got three guys there, but they're all in their late twenties and starting to get on a little bit. Yeah, really, if you look at their Canadian depth overall, it, it's pretty good. You know, they have. They're likely going to start three Canadian offensive linemen. Um, they would probably like to get uh, another young offensive lineman to put behind and develop behind center Justin Sorensen. They're likely to start the two Canadian receivers with Nate Kuhorn and Chris Getzlaff. So that's five starters. Eddie Steele starts a defensive tackle and probably Kochi Mwamba at safety. So that's seven pretty good Canadian starters, and they have depth at those positions. So even as you said, Morley, if you think maybe they need to get a little younger in the defensive backfield, or defensive tackle, I think Edmonton and GM Ed Hervey have really put themselves in a spot where their Canadian depth is strong, where they're going to play their Canadians, and they can really go best player available. Yeah, I think you got to give Ed Hervey credit for what he's accomplished the last three or four years because the cupboard was pretty bare for Canadians about four or five years ago here. It was. It's a whole lot different now, and you can't leave out Canadian scout Rob Ralph as well. He's an integral part in that process. Justin Dunk from Sportsnet.ca and Three Down Nation uh, with us on the Eskimo Show this afternoon talking about the Canadian draft, which goes on Tuesday. Start time is 5 o'clock here uh, in Edmonton. They've added a round this year. It's an eight-round draft now instead of seven. Uh, Is that troubling? Uh, Originally, I guess, kind of shows that Canadian talent is getting better, and we know that because there's more and more Canadians going to the NFL. But is there enough Canadian players to go another, another round? Well, we're about to find out whether there is or not, Morley. Uh, I believe there is, and I think the reason that this extra round was added was to get another non-counter into training camp, into your facility, and into a football environment where you can evaluate him over a long period of time because these draft picks don't count towards the roster number in training camp until you're cutting down to your final, final roster. So you can have another Canadian player that you can take a good, hard, long look at and decide on, and you won't have a guy like, let's say, Rob Begg, who had to go the undrafted free agent route, where he eventually made his Saskatchewan Rough Riders and has turned into an impressive career. You could have him in your camp and not have these guys maybe slipping through the cracks. One more for you on the draft, Justin. Uh, Onyemata, is he going to be picked by someone? Will someone take a chance on him, do you think? Yeah, it, w- it would be shocking if a team, especially with the eighth round added now, didn't pick David on Yamada just because you might not think he's going to be in the CFL now or possibly ever, depending how well his career goes there down in the NFL. He's wor- he's going to be worth the pick when you get into some of those later rounds just based on talent and upside compared to some of those other players. I look at Vaughn Martin as a perfect example of this. He was drafted a few years ago in the NFL in the fourth round by the San Diego Chargers, the Montreal Alouettes, took him in the later rounds of the CFL draft. Now that he's gone through a cycle in the NFL, you know, he had a pretty good stint down there it was over four or five or six years. He's now back with the Alouettes and is a starting caliber defensive lineman. Mm-hmm. So risk and reward is certainly there. There's, uh, there's not much risk if you take him in the eighth round, but the reward is phenomenal if he ends up in your uniform for sure. Certainly. Justin Dunk, thanks for your time. I appreciate it today. Thanks, Morley. Appreciate you having me on. This is the Eskimo Show on Eskimos Radio, 630 Chad. The big event on the CFL calendar this week is the Canadian Draft. That goes on Tuesday night. 
We'll have live coverage for you here on 6.30, Chad, beginning at 6 o'clock with Inside Sports Live from Commonwealth Stadium. We, of course, don't know who the Eskimos are going to take. They have the eighth overall pick in the first round. We do know who they took last year with their first-round pick. It was seventh overall. They selected offensive lineman Danny Grew from Laval University. Danny joins us now on the telephone. Thanks for your time, Danny. How you doing? I'm, I'm pretty good, you? Uh, very good, thank you. Uh, it was uh, a year ago uh, that you were kind of on pins and needles uh, this time of the year, waiting for the CFL draft to take place. I imagine you're a little less nervous about this year's draft than you were about last year's draft. Yeah, I would say I'm a less less nervous, but I'm still uh, I'm still a little bit stressed. I want to see where my friends are going, where my uh, my old teammates are going. It's always exciting. It's always an exciting moment. I know uh, I know I I talked to them a little bit about how it works and stuff, and uh, I know they're pretty exciting. So I'm excited too. All right, before we talk about uh, about your friends and some former teammates, let's let's go back to last year. You were taken seventh overall by the Eskimos uh, in the first round. How did you spend your draft day? Where were you, and how did you find out? Uh, we were at the uh, Cosmos. It's a restaurant in Quebec City. That's where we usually uh, every year go for uh, for the draft. The Laval guys go there. Uh, we invite our family and friends, and uh, that's where uh, that's where we spend our night. We put the draft on TV, and that's where. Uh, that's where we spend the night, and uh, yeah, I was there at the restaurant uh, looking at the draft. Everyone was just waiting for their name to come out, and um, I got the call, and uh, everyone was around, and they started to just shout and uh, scream, and my family was uh, was was really happy. I got the call. Chris Jones talked to me, and I was an Eskimo. So you were uh, amongst friends and family and, uh, and teammates and guys who were kind of feeling the same as you, waiting for the name to come out. Yeah. Yeah, we're all at the same place. Uh, old guys, I know Pierre Levertuz in Calgary was there too. You know, um, uh, alumni that uh, got drafted before us. We're all there, friends, family. It was it was a great experience. Eskimos offensive lineman Danny Grew joining us on the Eskimo Show this afternoon. Danny, you were probably well. I know mock drafts are are what they are, right? They're mock drafts for a reason. Yeah. They usually don't they usually don't shake mm-hmm. down the way everyone expects them to do. But a lot of people thought you would get drafted a little higher. Was it tough waiting for that seventh pick, waiting for your name to be called? As you know, you're 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 seeing other guys get drafted ahead of you. Was that the toughest part of the day, waiting for your name to come after the draft started? Oh, uh, I mean. Honestly, if I would have been called in second round, maybe we could have had this conversation. But I was still in the first round. I, I don't really care about mock drafts. I just wanted to go somewhere where I would fit well and uh, and just just somewhere where they wanted me. That's, that's that's the main thing. If you get drafted first of all, but I don't know, the team doesn't have really plans for you. It doesn't doesn't matter. So I prefer to be seventh overall with a team that wanted to wanted good things for me, and that was the Eskimos. So now. For me, it was just for sure. We had people had talks that would go. Uh, I would have been uh, higher in the draft. I mean, lower if we could say. But uh, it it didn't bother me. I was just waiting for a call at this point. And when I got the call, I forgot all about it. I was just happy to be in this call. Yeah, whether it's whether it's football, baseball, hockey, whatever the draft is, the old saying is: it doesn't matter where you get drafted; it's what you do after oh, you yeah. drafted, right? For sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. If, if we're talking CFL, for sure. If you're talking about uh. Uh, NFL guy like this week and uh, Laramie Tonsil who dropped like 10, 10 plays and lost about eight million. Now, <laughs> now it's a little bit more stressful for for me. It was just an occasion to start my 
professional career, you know, so I was really happy about it. I Matt, you, you knew you were getting drafted. You just didn't know where. You didn't know when. Uh, you knew you were oh, getting drafted. Yeah. It's probably a lot tougher for the guys who are scheduled to go in the later rounds and don't know if they're even going to get picked or not. That would be yeah. nerve-wracking, I would think. Uh, yeah, it, it was nerve-wracking. But the, the main thing is Ottawa was really talking with my agent. They were saying it's either you or Matthias. But that was really the, the thing. If it, was, it wasn't me... After that, I really didn't know where I was going, you know. So, like I said, sometimes teams have, have plans for, for other players. And I knew Winnipeg wanted to suck, suck Chong. So, at that point, I just didn't know where I was going after that. So, when I was not first overall after that, I was like, hey, I might just drop wherever I'm going to drop. And it was Edmonton, so I was really happy. So the six picks are in the books. Edmonton's up. Did you have any kind of feeling at that point that this might be your team? Yeah, yeah, honestly, like um, I told just before uh, Edmonton came on the clock, I I, I told my girlfriend, uh, "Hey, I'm going to Edmonton." I, I just told him uh, for sure I'm going to Edmonton, and she looked at me. She's like, "Oh yeah," and uh, I'm like, "Yep, for sure." And maybe five seconds later, uh, my phone rang. <laughs> so I looked at her. I looked at her, I, I, and I told her, "I told you." <laughs> there you go. And that was it. And it was Chris Jones on the phone. Yeah, it was Chris Jones, and after that, uh, had RV. Yeah, and I, when the people started shouting and uh, just screaming, I didn't hear a lot. So they were like, "Oh, we're gonna call you back." I'm like, "Okay, no problem." <laughs> and then, and then, as I recall, I was on a conference call with you a few minutes later, and you're talking to the media. That's a, it's a real whirlwind. Uh, I imagine once your name gets picked, uh, you're on the phone, you're yeah. celebrating, and you're just. Uh, I imagine you don't remember a lot of it. Eh? Yeah, and I was. It was. It was pretty. It was a pretty pretty funny story because I was. I had to go outside of the the restaurant because it was too loud, and at the same time, what maybe two picks later, my my friend got drafted in Calgary, Cal Lavoie. So we were both outside doing conference calls. He was on his side, I was on on my side. We're just walking around, talking, talking, and stuff. And at one point, we just look at each other and start laughing. I was like, "Hey, we're, we got drafted, man!" <laughs> so it was pretty cool. Uh, it's good, and and. The whole process, tell me about that. I guess actually getting drafted, That's I guess that's time to turn yep. the page then, right? But, I mean, you go through your draft year, you see the rankings mm -hmm. all the time, you you go to the combine, you see rankings, you get talked about, and then draft day passes, and then, boom, you're, you're on to your professional career. Yeah, no, honestly, it was and, – and for me it was a little bit hard because at the beginning of the year I got my um, – I got an ankle injury and I was out for about four games – so for sure it affected my my season a little bit, but uh, I still had a good season after that. I came back strong and, and that was good. But for sure you don't when it's your draft year you want everything to be perfect. You know, everyone's everyone wants to to just play hard, just do whatever they can to be, you know, to, to be the best player available. And uh, and I got injured, so that was that was hard. But I came back strong. And after that you got a winter coming, winter coming. You have to to train hard to the for the combine and all those all those kind of stuff so yeah it's pretty nerve-wracking but at the same time it's exciting it's an exciting uh, process you know you want to you want to just take it all in and just want to enjoy the process you don't want to to be the process too too heavy on you just want to be you want to be the, you want the process to be exciting so that's that was my main my main focus and I obviously that's your advice to guys in the draft this year, right? To to remember it and yeah, enjoy absolutely. it. Yeah, absolutely. 
Oh yeah, that's what I told it. Uh, that's what I told every one of them. I'm like, you know, don't be stressed. Just enjoy the moment. You're gonna get drafted, guys. Just wait for it, and just you can't at this point you can't control anything. So just enjoy, train, and be ready for training camp. That's what I'm telling. How are you spending? Uh, how are you gonna spend uh, Tuesday night when the draft's on? Are you gonna be with some some friends who are about to get drafted again? I'm gonna do yeah. I'm gonna do the same thing as last year, but now I. I, I'm drafted, so now it's for them. So I'm going to be there with uh, all those guys and ch- cheering for them uh, when they're going to get drafted. Sounds like uh, sounds like it'll be a good time. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you come to training camp, you make the team, you get your contract, you make the team. Your first year in the CFL mm-hmm. goes by. You win a Grey Cup. Uh, it turned out pretty well for you. <laughs> I think uh, I was in the right place, right moment. Yeah, no, honestly, it was. Uh, it was a great season. Uh, we had some uh, some ups and downs, and we finally we finally finished on a, a really big up. We had a great great season. The guys were good. We went to the Great Cup. We won that. I mean, you cannot. I mean, for me, for a rookie, I can't ask more. You know, I was talking for to uh, uh, Brian Ramsey about it. He's like, "Hey, never won a Great Cup. Never went to a Great Cup in in like all my career, and now you come in as a rookie." And you win a great cup. He's like, enjoy it because you never know if you're going to come back. So for me, it was a big rookie season. And that helped me to just prepare for my, my uh, I would say, my sophomore season. It's, it, it helped me just prepare and just say, like, yeah, you never know if you're going to go back to the, that great cup. So be ready for that second season. That's a great comparison between you and, and Brian Ramsey. I mean, like, as you say, he had, yeah. to wait, he had to wait till his last year to win a great cup. <laughs> You already got one. Yeah, that's 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 crazy. <laughs> tough, tough to get there. Tougher to get back, as they say, which is what the goal is. Obviously, going into 2016, your goals for 2016. You played 10 games last year. I think you started six. Uh, you got a yep. feel for what the professional game is all about. How do you approach things as you go into year two? Uh, last year, I would say last year I was a little bit. You know, I was I was still that rookie just. Taking it all in, sometimes was a little bit lost in that process. Was just trying to figure it out by myself. But you know, the veterans helped me a lot. They they, they showed me the right track, the right track, and it uh, it's going to help me a lot for this year. I'm going there to to just be the best player, the best player possible as I can be. I'm going there to just uh, play hard, be be what I am. I'm a hard worker. That's what I'm going in the in training camp. I'm gonna go there with my blue collar attitude I'm just gonna try to prove everything the, the whole team what kind of player I am in my second year and I just want to go there and uh, help the team as much as possible Eskimos offensive lineman Danny Grew joining us on the Eskimo show this afternoon how much did you learn last year Danny and how different will training camp be for you this year I'll, I'll, I'll know a lot of things that you know but the, the only thing it's we, we are all our coaches are, are gone now you know so it's gonna be uh a brand new playbook and stuff like this, so it's going to be a little bit of a new learning, a learning process again for me. But it's going to be a learning process for for a lot of guys too. So that's I'm not really stressed about it. I'm I'm just I just know what is what is it to be a pro now, and that that was the biggest not fear, but the biggest thing last year. I, I didn't know where I was going in 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 like. So how does that work? How does this work? Uh, where are we going? We we're taking the play and stuff like this. So now. I'll be able to just focus straight on football, focus on my season, just help the team as much as possible. That's 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 my main key this year. 
you mentioned the coaches. Have you talked much with uh, with the new head coach, Jason Moss, or I guess more specifically with offensive line coach Mike Gibson? I didn't talk to uh, Mike Gibson yet, but I've talked to uh, Jason Moss. Yeah, we've talked uh, we've talked about a couple of the things. Uh, he's he's a he's a UFC Conor McGregor fan as well, so we had a lot of talk a lot to talk about on the phone. But no, he's a, he's a good guy, and I've talked a lot with uh, here in uh, in Quebec. We have uh, Mathieu Bertrand. Mathieu Bertrand is here in, in Quebec City. He's coaching. So when uh, Jason Moss was named uh, uh, head coach, he talked. He talked about uh, Jason Moss as a great guy and stuff. So when I talked to Jason on the phone, I was uh, I told him that, and uh, we had a good uh, good time talking. Yeah, uh, Danny, you opened the door to the UFC conversation. Uh, tell me your thoughts on Conor McGregor and uh, the retirement announcement, and then the comeback and everything. I know you're a huge fan. Give me your thoughts on it. <sighs> yeah, I am a huge fan. I, I went to Las Vegas to see his last one, uh, not his last fight, the other one against Jose Aldo. So it was a, a pretty big deal, but yeah, no, he's just you know he's just a show. He's just he wants to to be anywhere, you know. He just announced his retirement, and and it break it broke all Twitter uh, uh, Twitter records about uh, retweets and likes and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. You know, this guy is just a he's just a show. That's what he wants to do, and he wanted to just. I think it was against. It was not against, but he wanted to wake up the UFC by saying, "Hey, man, I am the UFC, but you know, you you can't do this as a when when you're working for a company. You know, you, I think you can't do this." But he did, and you know, every media in the world reacted to it. So he has all the attention now, but he's not on the UFC 200 card anymore, and I think he's a little bit pissed about it. But uh, yeah, no, honestly, um, is it was. I think I think it was a bigger deal because he doesn't. Is I think his last fight, he told he told the UFC media that he didn't want to go back on the West Coast because I know from, I don't know, but when you're from Ireland and you have to go back on the West Coast every time with the the, you know the ta- the time zones change and stuff like this. So that's what he told his last fight. But I know when you have a contract, <laughs> you have to respect it. Eh? So so uh, you you'll have to to figure out something with the UFC because he needs to fight for the UFC. Yeah, I, I don't think he's going anywhere when push comes to shove, right? It's too much money to be yeah, made. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, I mean, this my favorite fighter of all time is GSP. Mm-hmm. And, you know, GSP was bringing a lot of money to the UFC, but it's, it doesn't even compare to what Conor McGuire is doing right now. He's just, he's just so, he's such a show that he's bringing, he's bringing the UFC money that the U.S. never had before, so they're a little bit crazy about him. Yeah. Right, so you're obviously looking at the, the big ones this summer, right, 200? Yeah, yes, 200. I think it's on uh, July. In July, yeah. Nice, nice. Uh, yeah, no, Danny, uh, Danny, I appreciate your time uh, this afternoon. Uh, what's left for you to do now uh, between now and training camp? How are you going to spend uh, what's now less than a month before you're here? Oh, I'm, in- yeah, I'm, I'm training. I'm still training hard here in Quebec City. i got my trainer. I'm, I'm doing. Uh, I'm, I'm not changing my formula. I've been training the, this whole winter really hard, and I'm still training hard until the the, the camp's coming, and uh, I'll be ready to go. That's UFC fan Danny Grew. He's also an offensive lineman for the Edmonton Eskimos. He'll be in town in a couple of weeks' time. The Eskimos getting set, of course, like everyone else in the CFL, to open training camp on the field on May 29th. That's the show for this week. Thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Our thanks to our guests, Len Rhodes, Eskimos president and CEO, Justin Dunk from 3Down Nation and Sportsnet.ca, and, of course, Danny Grew joined us as well. My name's Morley Scott. Thanks for listening, everybody. 
We'll talk more football in seven days' time.